3: January for a lot of us. Uh, I drank last night.
4: Oh boy! Is it so January? I haven't looked at the calendar.
3: Yes, mm. according to my figures. Uh, yeah, I uh, I belong to an association of bourbon uh, enthusiasts, and we had our monthly thing. And last night, one of the major distillers was uh t- doing a tasting of all sorts of stuff. And I thought, you know, that sounds kind of good. And and I'm not talking about this because anybody cares about me or my life. But every time we get into this stuff, we get lots of emails. People saying, "Hey, thanks for talking about that." Blah blah blah. So. Um I was hitting it hard enough in December that I was starting to be concerned whether I could stop drinking. So it was a wet December. Oh lord, it was like California wet. Yes. <laughs> and I started to think, man, I'm I'm drinking enough. I'm concerned that like I have a serious alcohol problem. But then I said Judy and I decided no, we're not going to drink in January or at least most of it and uh and it's been effortless, practically effortless. And I'm so glad I'm doing it, and I'm happy, and I'm sleeping better. I feel terrific. Uh, but so we had this event last night, and I figured, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and taste the bourbons and then get back on the wagon. And the reason I think it's not a bad idea, it's a good idea, is it reinforces why you do this in the first place. Drinking is not inevitable. It's not a pattern. It's not what you do every night just because you do it every night. It is a conscious choice. Every drink needs to be a conscious choice. And so, it's almost a test. So, I fell off the wagon last night. Am I right back on it today? The answer is yes, by the way. 100% committed to it.
4: I'm the same way with the Trank. I just got to make sure that I'm making Mm -hmm. the conscious decision to take Trank today. And not just doing it out of habit.
3: Well, now, after they sawed off your left leg. Oh, jeez. You know, it really upped the ante. So, I know you've been taking it more seriously.
4: Yeah, if you haven't heard us talk about the new street drug Trank. Oh, uh, listen to the oh, podcast, I guess. So
3: horrible. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, whether it's a diet or exercise or uh, a, a habit like alcohol or whatever, um, don't don't get discouraged if you screw up or you take a day off or have a cheat day or whatever.
4: Just get right back to it. Well, I can't do that. We I wish I could. You. I can't do that with hardly anything. Right. It's just the way I'm built. And uh, and it's weird. I don't know what the psychology of that is. I can swear off donuts for the year and not eat donuts for a year, probably. But I can't decide. Like, yesterday, there were donuts here that had bacon on top of them. Especially, Good God. Especially great bacon did donuts. Did
3: Satan stop by?
4: Yeah, it really did seem like it was somebody who was just, like, trying to lure me out of my... Uh, Bacon-covered donuts? But I'm not a guy who can, like, I'll, <laughs> I'll eat that donut, and then tomorrow I'll go back to not eating donuts. I can't do that. It just doesn't work that way for me for with anything. Well, it's good you reason. know that though. Yeah. To thine own self be true. Why don't you sprinkle a little cocaine on
3: top of the bacon on top of the donut? What the hell is that? Does it come with a girl? <laughs> I mean, what the, what else is there? <laughs> Served on the belly of a comely wench. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Anyway, where were we? Now we probably don't have time for what I was going to do. Um my fault. There is a, uh, an increasingly popular sentiment being expressed on the left that there's no such thing as cancel culture. AOC recently brushed off the phenomenon as a, just a bunch of entitled people being challenged and held accountable oh, for their problematic views. Wow. Charles M. Blow, who's an awful, awful human being, he writes a column for the New York <laughs> Times, uh, just tweeted, Once more, there's no such thing as cancel culture. There is free speech. You can say and do as you please, and others can choose never to deal with you, your company, or your products ever again. The rich and powerful are just upset that the masses can now organize their dissent.
4: Hey, not to be insidery about media stuff, because I don't know how many people follow this. Have you heard any blowback, pardon the expression, on David French getting hired as a columnist at the New York Times, because remember when they brought Brett Stevens over from the Wall Street Journal, there was a there was a there was some blowback. Oh no, a Republican is going to be a columnist at the New York Times, and he is way tepid as a conservative compared mm-hmm. to David French. He's yeah. a hardcore evangelical Christian, as conservative as conservative gets. And I haven't heard any uproar about that out of The New York Times. I mean, there. I, I, I would guess Mr. Blow is not happy about David French being a colleague now. Is it because uh, French is anti-Trump? Could be. That could be.
3: Yeah, he's a, he's an anti-Trump Republican. Yeah, no. In answer to your question, no, I haven't heard anything about that huh. whatsoever. I just think the fever pitch is down so much. But anyway, back to this uh, uh, cancel culture doesn't exist thing. This is a piece written by Colin Wright, who is a scientist, um, and he describes himself uh, for a while. He's uh, an academic biologist. Uh, evolutionary biologist it's been a passion from a young age He you got degrees in it etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, he's uh, years ago he maintained a blog that he used to debunk pseudoscience and the arguments he got into were he was uh anti-creationism anti-intelligent design and he would argue with christian conservatives and Uh, Creationists and intelligent design folks frequently told me I was wrong or stupid, but my critics never called me a bigot. They engaged with me. This changed, however, when I started graduate school in 2013. This was an environment where I didn't have to worry about right wing creationists. Rather the pseudoscience I observed was coming from the other side of the political spectrum, especially in the form of blank slate proponents who argued falsely that sex differences in human personality, preferences, and behavior
4: are entirely the result of socialization. That's crazy. How could Which anybody is- think that if they've ever have you ever raised kids? Have you been around any other humans? I mean, what led you to believe that? It is a a belief so idiotic and
3: unsupportable, it's insane that anybody holds it. I mean, it's really difficult to comprehend anybody with two brain cells to rub together uh, advocating this point of view. But uh, to quote Sowell for the millionth time, there's some ideas so idiotic only an intellectual could hold them. Um. Let's see. Uh, it was also during this time, he writes, that I started to take an interest in what many now call, quote, gender ideology. This ideology not only invites compassionate treatment for trans individuals, which I support, of course, but also promotes the scientifically inaccurate claims that biological sex, sex exists on a continuous spectrum, that notions of male and female may be mere social constructs, and that one's sex may be determined by self-declared identity instead of reproductive anatomy. When I pushed back against these claims, I was smeared as a transphobic bigot. Fearing professional harm, I stopped engaging, ceding the field to those who champion fashionable fictions. Then he does a little more uh, biography of himself, graduated with his Ph.D. in evolutionary biology from UC Santa Barbara in 2018, postdoctoral position at Penn State, uh, on and on. Uh, even scientists whom I knew personally and respected were parroting this nonsense as scientific fact, but I dared not say a word. I would soon be applying to tenure track assistant professor jobs. I could not be seen publicly arguing down the claim that internally felt gender feelings trumped biology. In 2018, the grievance studies scandal dropped. That was the absolute brilliant dissenting uh, prank project by Friends of the Armstrong and Getty Show, uh, James Lindsay, Peter Bogosian, and Helen Pluckrose, where they submitted all those ridiculous, hilariously fictional scientific papers that were published with a straight face in social (laughs) science
1: journals.
3: (laughs) A few weeks later, one of the world's most prestigious scientific journals, Nature, published an editorial claiming that classifying an individual's sex using any combination of anatomy and genetics has, quote, no basis in science. That is straight folks out of Nazi Germany. That is straight out of Soviet Russia. That's a, a Maoist China. Those Nazi events Germany. happening in such that's right sir in such close <laughs> succession pushed me beyond my threshold for restraint. Despite my academic mentor's warnings that speaking up could ruin my career, I let my bottled-up frustrations out in an essay I sent to Quillette. It was published under the headline The New Evolution Deniers. The essay went viral. Uh, while I received my fair share of praise for it, I also knew I'd provided critics with, a, critics with a bona fide gotcha moment. And he says I did not train to be a scientist for over a decade to just sit quietly while science in general and my field in particular comes under attack from activists who subvert truth to ideology and narrative. I wrote blank slate feminists and trans activists alike publicly accused me of wrongthink, which is a term straight out of uh, Orwell's uh, nineteen eighty four. Then he mentions a couple of other things he co-wrote, uh, including a piece titled No One is Born in the Wrong Body, arguing that children are put at risk for long-term harm if they are indoctrinated with ideologically torqued misinformation about their bodies and behaviors. And then he, he mentions some other, I'm summarizing, obviously, some of the other things he wrote, which I'd love to be able to list for you because they're really good, supportable, and smart um and uh, Twitter went crazy. I locked my Twitter and resolved once again to lay low, but of course I fell off the wagon. If you're looking for common characteristics among those of us who get targeted for cancellation, it isn't money or privilege, like AOC would tell you. Rather, many of us simply have an inability to mumble slogans we know aren't true. Over time, we become exasperated with dishonest propaganda that masquerades as social justice, and we speak out. It's a habit rooted in the truth-telling, whistleblowing impulse that not so long ago, progressives applauded. Now I'm looking at the clock and trying to figure out how much time we have. He goes into then the brutality. He endured professionally, uh, from all sorts of quarters who tried to ruin his career. Colin Wright is a who supports race science. I contacted the board operator to this academic, uh, message board, um, uh, Expressing my concerns, this time I received no response whatsoever. Um, these people are calling me all sorts of horrific things in public. Why are they up? Did them no good. Meanwhile, an anonymous Twitter account informed me that preemptive emails had been sent to academic search committees about me all over the country. Uh, I note that it is the same tactic known to have been used against former psychology professor Bo Weingard, who was recently fired from Marietta College after a persistent effort by similar activists to smear him as a racist and a race scientist. And he goes on for quite some time, and we'll post this at armstrongandgetty.com so you can uh, read it. But the idea is this guy posits a certain scientific truth, in my opinion. He backs it with as much scientific evidence as he can muster and the response isn't well take a look at this science my friend it would seem to counteract no the the counter the counter argument is i will ruin you mm-hmm. we will ruin you you will never work again you are- that's what cancel culture is it's not an engagement on arguments it's a you think that i will ruin you <laughs> Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Perhaps you heard about this. Stanford University's uh, technology department um, uh, now sent out uh, one of those cleansing language uh, guidelines slash sets of demands um, to make everybody more uh, gentle and politically correct and not offend anybody and et cetera, et cetera. And as usual with these things, it is both troubling and unintentionally hilarious. Um, the, let's see, what do they call it? The Elimination of Hardful, Harmful Language Initiative, a multi phase, multi year project to address harmful language in IT at Stanford. And it is, again, so self obsessed and ridiculous. It's hard to believe adults got together. And bandied this about, and nobody said, uh, hey, that doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, Nobody raised their hand and pointed out what seems to be fairly obvious to the rest of us, that a lot of this stuff is idiotic and and utterly unnecessary and self-contradictory. There we go. I finally found it. Um, As Paolo points out, uh, da, da, da. Stanford's IT department has published a guide for eliminating harmful language on the university's website, and some of the entries, including American, that's right, you can't say American, Cakewalk, Landlord, and Stupid, have sparked fierce backlash, according to uh, virtually everybody who looks at it, including Elon Musk. Other uh, words that should be avoided include Victim, Peanut Gallery, Manpower, and Blacklist. The 13-page guide, 13 pages, 13 pages, 13 pages, gives alternatives to potentially harmful language and context for a word or phrase that might be harmful. For example, instead of saying American, we'll start there. The guide says, use U.S. citizen. Saying American to refer to people from the United States only insinuates that the United States is the most important country in the Americas, which is actually made up of 42 countries, the guide says. Unbelievable. The guide is broken down into sections for words that are gender based, culturally appropriative, ableist, racist and imprecise. Instead of cakewalk, say easy or simple, the guide says that's because white enslavers used to hold events where slaves would dance for their entertainment and the prize would be a cake, according to the guide. So if arguably and maybe not, because often the stuff isn't even historically accurate, hundreds of years ago. People danced for cakes. You can't have a cakewalk, which was something I did as a kid. A dopey little thing where you get to take home a pie or a cake or cupcakes or whatever. I always thought it was a waste of time. Anyway, uh, landlord should be avoided because it's gender binary. Blacklist should be avoided because it assigns negative connotations to the color black, racializing the term. Avoid straight because it implies that anyone who is not heterosexual is bent. The guide says now, interestingly enough, several Stanford professors have said this is idiotic. Jay Batakariya, who we've uh, quoted more than once, points out it's a ham handed way to achieve a worthy goal, which is to have people treat each other with respect. But having a list of prescribed words actually has the opposite effect, because some people react to it by actually wanting to say those words. Uh, da, da, da. Something like this just furthers the stereotype that Stanford is an intolerant place. And indeed, the university president came out and says, look, say American if you want. We say everybody says American. Do it. This is just the tech department. And he didn't say this, but he wishes they would have just shut up. But here's, here's one thing that I've seen a trend in. And this is, it's, it's a good example of the doctor tells you take two aspirin and you pour the whole jar down your throat. Well, you told me to take aspirin. Well, you're a stupid person. Am I allowed to say stupid? I think I am allowed to. No, I'm not allowed to say stupid. Um And uh only a stupid person would do that. Try not to be a stupid person. For instance, don't say addict. Say person with a substance use disorder. One thing about these politically correct phrases is they're so damn wordy. It would take an hour and a half to get through a sentence. Because if you say addict, that is using first-person language that defines the person by just one of their characteristics. I mean, he's a fine ballroom dancer, a gifted chef. He's very tall. And he's a person with a substance use disorder. For instance, don't say basket case. Say nervous. Originally, that referred to persons who lost all four limbs and needed to be carried around. And Nobody knows. Nobody cares.
0: Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio and the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong
1: and Getty.
4: According to the CDC, cases of sexually transmitted disease are on the rise. America is back and so is our chlamydia, everybody. It's... Uh, for some reason, they have changed the term STD to STI. Did you know this? No Which one. is very bad news for the students at the Systems Technology Institute. But
2: <laughs>
4: SCI's went way down at the start of the COVID pandemic, but they're now headed back up the charts with a, a bullet. COVID was like, we our work is done here, herpes. You take over yeah. from here. What is going on with that?
3: I, I don't know. I, I really don't um is the, if you were passing up sex and companionship because you're afraid of covid we have very little to talk about you and me <laughs> yeah i mean i don't i don't know this is just so- the whole the great divide in america new york times is still writing articles about you're ready to come out in the post-COVID world, here's how you adjust.
4: Well, what? Joe Biden announced the end of the COVID emergency day before yesterday, so it just ended. Come on. I need to I need to, an adjustment period. It's only been over <laughs> for 24 hours. Um, wow. so uh, STD is a sexually transmitted disease. What's an STI? Sexually transmitted infection. Infection. Because disease is a n- nasty word.
3: Nasty and it word. It shames people. Yeah, it's sh- exactly. You have an
4: infection, which isn't that pleasant a word. (laughs) Hey, um, I can't get into the particulars of this. Um, I wish I could. Maybe I will in the future. But reared its head yesterday that jerk has become a bad word. When did jerk become like the n? It's like the J word. I am
3: uh, completely unfamiliar with
4: it. Well, we have talked about a couple of uh, kids' books and various books where they're taking the word jerk out of there, Hmm. and uh, it came into my life yesterday, and I got to be very, very vague, where somebody used the term jerk and was told by an adult that you you do not say that word. When did jerk become Did did I miss something? Was I not Was that one of the words taken out of, like, a Ravel doll book? Yep. It was. I'd forgotten that. Yep. But so that kind of surprised me when that happened. And then in real life yesterday, when I, a child got dressed down for using that word, I thought, when did jerk become? Did I, I must have been sick that day <laughs> when, when the nation decided that jerk was just a horrifying thing to call somebody. I don't even
3: know, like, how to search on information about this. What would I say? Don't say jerk. But.
4: Hmm. We're gonna what run out the, of words, so hell? we need to we need to have words. There need to be some words that describe a person that is um, not comporting with societal norms. <laughs> what are we supposed to call these people? If you can't say yeah. jerk, obviously you can't use any uh, bad words, curses. I'm you just, know, it's funny. I can't find anything on this. Well, it, it's been being pulled out of kids' books, kids' TV shows, and now I've got an example of it being uh, actually said to a child, don't use that word, talking about someone else. I, we need to know
3: more about this. Do you know anything about this? Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Drop us an email real quick. Mailbag at com. I'll look at it uh, during the next I break. I want
4: to meet the jerk who came up with this.
3: You know... It's probably worth repeating yet again that uh, in his book, Rules for Radicals, Saul Alinsky pointed out really kind of the f- he was very much of one mind with George Orwell on this. Uh, he said that uh, he who controls language controls the future. Um, and and again, he was paraphrasing Orwell. Orwell was um, trying to warn us. Saul Alinsky was issuing an instruction manual for how to radically change society. All of this stuff, I mean, with some exceptions, Um, But few all of this stuff making you change a term for something being told the old term you've always used is uh, no good. You need to use this new term or uh, demanding that you uh, share your pronouns and denying that a man is a woman, anything like that. All these uh, efforts to to, uh, pervert the language, they're there for a reason.
4: Yeah, uh, I agree. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But words do change. Uh, like, when we were kids, saying something sucks was like a bad word. I, I didn't word a lot, wasn't allowed to say that in my household as a kid. Well, now oh, yeah. high-level politicians say that.
3: Oh, yeah. If you were to say hell or damn on a radio station uh, 40 years ago, you'd be immediately fired. Immediately.
4: Right. And, and, and saying something sucks was like really, really coarse talk. Now you can be a U.S. senator and say, this sucks. We shouldn't be doing this. Right. That's that's kind of a different thing because that's the way
3: obscenities go. They tend to soften over time. And, I mean, the idea of hearing an F-bomb in a McDonald's 30 years ago was utterly unthinkable. I still, I still don't want to hear
4: No, it. I don't either. But don't get away from it.
3: Yeah, that's that's subtly different than uh, some of the other ways I and then think that jerk becoming
4: are to, a bad word is going the other direction.
3: I'm astounded by that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. I, I get, like, not using retarded as a, yeah. an insult yeah. to people.
4: I um, guess, although, though, I, that was the kind term when we were kids.
3: Well, right. Yeah, you were mentally retarded. Uh, then it became developmentally disabled and handicapable and the rest of it. A lot of that stuff is just it's trying to dress up something that's unfortunate um, for the purpose of of lending dignity to the people involved. And I, I don't dislike people who try to do that. I think... Um, at some point, it, it's uh, it's useless. It's ridiculous because it never it never stops changing. Well, and the uh, the uh, the term the proper term for a uh, a person of uh, dark skin has changed half a dozen times in uh, in the twentieth to the twenty first right. century.
4: Colored was the preferred term. Then it became a you will lose your job for saying it. Now, people of color is the preferred term. Wow, right. That's a we, we got a funny text. It's well, pe- and
3: you would lose your job for using the terms Martin Luther King Jr. used, for instance.
4: Yeah, we got uh, a funny text. People experiencing jerkism is the proper <laughs> way to say.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, you know, I've got a really interesting, uh, roundup of politics and trials and claims and counterclaims. Uh, but instead of like rushing through that like a lunatic, which is probably a word I shouldn't use, I'm sorry, rushing through it like a person experiencing mental infection. Um, <laughs> why don't we do this instead Michael play us clip 10 please and I'll explain
0: I pick up the phone and I hear my daughter's voice and it says mom I I, I messed up and she's sobbing and crying and then I hear a man's voice say put your head back lie down and this man gets on the phone and he's like I've got your daughter this is how it's gonna go down you call the police You call anybody, I'm going to pop her stomach so full of drugs, I'm going to have my way with her and I'll drop her off in Mexico. In the background, she's going, help me, Mom. I never doubted for one second it was her.
3: Help me, Mom. Help me. Please help me in crying. That's her daughter's voice on the telephone during this horrifying kidnapping attempt, except that it wasn't her daughter's voice. It was her daughter's voice synthesized by AI. It was just a clone. And there was no doubt in this woman's mind, and I've seen the interview, I've heard the interview, she's a, a bright lady, she's not, you know, a half-wit or anything like that. Um, there was no doubt in her mind her daughter was in trouble. It was completely her voice, she says. It was her inflection. It was the way she would have cried. Never doubted for one second it was her. That's the freaky part that really got me to my core.
4: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mentioned I signed into my 401k account the other day. It said, state your name and address so that we can analyze your voice to see if it's you. So they have my voice on tape, and they can match it up to the extent that it's as good as giving them my social security number, I guess. And so if that can happen, then I suppose they can replicate a voice and have it say various things. AI can now. So, wow, that opens up yet another can of worms.
3: Yeah, um, and one of our brilliant listeners, and I wish I had the email handy because I want to give them credit. They said, hey, should we all erase? Because the, the, you remember the the advice. Uh, if you get a phone call from a mysterious number, you think it might be a scammer. Don't
4: immediately talk shout F you and then hang up. I don't mind. Is that that what I want to say if
3: it turns out to be your doctor's office, you're going to have some explaining to do. <laughs> uh, but uh, so your it, grandma it just, on her
4: new phone,
3: <laughs> just give a little what what? <laughs> and then make them talk first. Two funny <laughs> voices
4: from now on. Do it, dude.
2: Do it. Hey. Do it impersonations.
4: <laughs> Hello, who is this?
1: <laughs> this
2: is Joe. Who is this?
1: So uh,
3: we get that advice, right? So they can't, like, grab a clip of your voice and synthesize it to scam you or, or t- good Lord, the terror of thinking your child's been kidnapped no, nothing would by be some worse. rapist lunatic who's going to drug no. them up and drop them in Mexico for the love of all that's holy. Anyway, but one of our listeners said, so do we all have to erase the messages on our phones now? They don't have to talk to you. They got 30 seconds of tape. Ah. you saying, yeah, sorry, I missed your call. uh Leave a message after the beep, et cetera, et cetera.
4: I don't know who that's for anymore, but you come across those on a regular basis. At the beep, you can leave a message. Uh, Let me know. I will get back to you as soon as possible. Yeah, we all know this. Just give me the freaking beep.
3: Hey, it's me. Leave a message. Mm. Uh, Actually, my my message says, sometimes I don't get voicemails for like a day or two, so please text me.
4: I I haven't checked to see what my message is. I've had this number for 20 years, and I, Mm. I, I made the message 20 years ago. I have no idea what it is.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, dirt! What was
4: I about to say? It's oh, speaking got the of Macarena blasting in the background. <laughs> and a- <laughs> yeah.
0: Armstrong and Getty BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast, investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, archaea Energy.
1: the
3: Finns are a tough tough people with a very very good military it's also the happiest country on earth perhaps the happiest place on earth it makes disneyland look like a public toilet they're so damn happy wow. in finland the new york times with a really interesting article about finland being named the happiest country on earth for the sixth consecutive year but as they say in their uh, sub headline, the reality is a bit more complicated. The headline is the Finnish secret to happiness: knowing when you have enough. And I find this found this very interesting, as I think most of us would like to be happy, That's not or the happier, f- or not unhappy. That's not the Finnish secret to happiness. That's
4: the human secret to happiness.
3: Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with you. Yeah, so uh, at any rate, for six year in a row, Finland was ranked at the very top of this UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network uh, report, the World Happiness Report. Finns themselves say the ranking points to a more complex reality. I wouldn't say I consider us very happy, said a 58-year-old high school English teacher. I'm a little suspicious of that word, uh, actually. And so the New York Times set off across Finland and talked to all sorts of different people of all sorts of different ages and politics and, of course sexual orientations, blah, blah, blah. Uh, while people praised Finland's strong social safety net and spoke glowingly of the psychological benefits of nature and the personal joys of sports or music, they also talked about guilt, anxiety, and loneliness. Rather than happy, they were more likely to characterize Finns as quite gloomy, a little moody, or not necessary, not given to unnecessary smiling. In fact, they quoted one woman who was an immigrant from Africa years and years ago who said, boy, when I go back to my home country, I'm reminded of how joyful people are because Finland is a kind of dark,
4: serious place in a lot of ways. Well, I come from a part of America settled by people from that part of Europe, and it tends to be a non-smiling crowd. It's just a you get up every day and you grin and bear it (laughs) and Go to bed. (laughs) You don't grin and bear it. You
3: grimace and bear it. It turns out that even the happiest people in the world aren't that happy, but they are something more like content. There you go. Said a professor at University of Eastern Finland who has researched well-being in Finnish society explained, quote, uh, well, not quite quoting yet. Finns derive satisfa- satisfaction from leading sustainable lives and perceive financial success as being able to identify and meet basic needs. In other words, when you know what is enough, you are happy.
4: Wow, that sounds so much like the people of uh, lots of Minnesota, South Dakota, those areas of the country where they, they came from that part of the world. Just, yeah figure out how to set up your finances so you're not going to starve when you're old and uh, get by in a little as you can and uh, go to work every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's content and, and thank God for it.
3: Yeah. 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 Uh, and they go into the the generous social safety net there and how there's a lot of support for the arts, government funded, taxpayer funded support for the arts. And so artsy people are, are very happy about that. Uh, I'd like to know more about the finances of Finland and how they actually work. Um, But there's a little more to this. Um, the conventional wisdom is that it's easier to be happy in a country like Finland, where the government ensures a secure foundation on which to build a fulfilling life and a promising future. But that expectation can also create pressure to live up to the national reputation. We're very privileged to know our privilege, said a 19 year old uh, young woman. So we're also scared to say that we're discontent with anything because we know that we have it so much better than other people. In other words, they have a culture of not griping. If you have enough, nobody wants to hear you complain. That is very different than being the happiest place on earth.
4: Sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, I wonder what percentage of people are in the workforce, people of working age.
3: I would guess a very, very high percentage. So a- I don't think they go into this specifically. Um, The Finnish way of life is summed up in Sisu, a trait said to be part of the national character. The word roughly translates to, quote, grim determination in the face of hardships, such as the country's long winters. Even in adversity, a Finn is expected to persevere without complaining. How different is that? Then the drive-by headline that Finns are the happiest people on Earth. So they have a generous safety net. Right. I remember we used to have, uh, you know, there are various people like extroverts and high school cheerleader personality types who would harangue Jack and me <laughs> through the years about what's wrong. Smile. And I finally took to saying the official mood of the Armstrong and Getty show is grim determination. That's just the way we are. Uh, Let's see. Back in the day when it wasn't that easy to survive the winter, said uh, another teenager, people had to struggle. And then it's kind of been passed along the generations. Our parents were this way our grandparents were this way, tough and not worrying about everything, just living life. That is so interesting and so in line with, you know, virtually other every other great philosophy and religion that mankind has held.
4: And we're uh, seem to be working pretty hard to do away with that sort of attitude. Well, you could
3: suggest that the U.S., not the U.S. alone, certainly. Um, I'm looking at you, France, Uh, but the U.S. has become a sort of anti-Finland where you're expected to complain about everything all the time. And in fact, if you're not shrieking about what a victim you are, how beleaguered you are, how unfair the world has been to you, you can't get any attention at all in the United States. Right.
4: They have social media in Finland. They got Twitter and whatnot.
3: I think they do. It doesn't come up in any of the conversations. Uh, a couple more quotes. Uh, here's an older lady. She was born 17 years after Finland won independence from Russia, which was, I can't remember when. It was uh, Cold War time. Anyway. Ah, she's watched her homeland transform from the devastation of World War II through years of rebuilding to a nation held up as an exemplar to the world. Quote, my mother used to say, remember, the blessing in life is in work and every work you do, do it well. I think Finnish people have been very much the same way. Everybody did everything together and helped each other.
4: We don't whine. We just do. That's uh, that's really interesting. I wonder. I wonder what started that culture. I wonder what keeps it going. I would like, and this is—it's interesting
3: that this really fabulous bit of journalism is in the liberal New York Times, which is certainly um, more than willing to trumpet uh, the whining bitchy victim culture thing <laughs> all the time.
4: I wish everybody in America. Had to read this article. The WBV, as we call them. The whiny right. bitchy victim culture.
3: Exactly. WBV culture. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll put a link to this article at armstrongandgetty.com if you want to link, but, if you want to read it, rather. And
4: course. you're absolutely right, because it's been many years in a row that Finland has been named the happiest country, and I've never heard a, a deep dive into what their culture actually is.
3: Right. All you hear is they have a generous welfare state, and that makes people happy. Duh. Okay, not at all. (laughs) The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City.